0: Hey everybody, J Reels here to share a friendly reminder If this is your first time getting an opportunity To listen to what it is that I have to say About what's going on in the world of sports Welcome aboard Or if you've been a long time listener Not only do I welcome you back But I want to advise you to all Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast The J Reels Podcast On wherever you listen to them Of course, this pod is on all platforms Whether it's on Apple Podcasts Google Podcasts Spreaker Stitcher Spotify iHeartRadio Luminary Even Amazon Music I not only host this endeavor but I independently produce, edit, and write what you read and listen to, so your participation is vital to increase the visibility of this platform to those who aren't familiar with it, in turn to generate interest to those who aren't aware or know of this podcast, especially the former or current athlete, broadcaster, blogger, sports writer, studio host, etc., as I want them to share their experience on the field, the court, press box, broadcast booth, or in the studio with me, so that I can flip that to you guys and gals. To deliver top-notch, fast-paced, entertaining, informative, and credible sports talk unlike any other for everyone to listen to and enjoy, and to keep coming back for more on a week-in, week-out basis. You could also go to the website for more information about me, the pod, archive shows at www.jreels.com. I appreciate you all. I thank you very much for listening, trusting, and believing in me. So, with that said, the J Reels podcast begins in five, four, three, two. I'm sick and tired of having to deal with the disappointment of this franchise. When does it stop? And yes, another winter that I can sleep in peace. Coming correct, direct, and in full effect. Let's get it. This is the J-Worlds Podcast. Welcome aboard. What is happening, my good people? Greetings. How are you? How's it going? How's everybody doing out there? What is the latest and greatest? Hope everybody's doing well. Not only is the start of a new day, a new week, even a new month as we usher February into the calendar, and with that, a winter storm that has hit the northeast as snow continues to fall, and it's not letting up anytime soon. In fact, it's supposed to last until tomorrow, so we all must hunker down, bundle up, make sure we have our hot chocolate ready so we could plow through the storm and hope for warmer and brighter days that lie ahead, and while we're at it, speaking of starts, A new podcast is forthcoming as I deliver everything that's happening in the world of sports as this is the J Reels Podcast with your host, J Reels. For my first timers, welcome aboard. And for those who have been banging with me for 176 episodes, I welcome you guys back. Again, it's February the 1st in the year of our Lord 2021. The J Reels What's the Deal segment, what to expect on this podcast is as follows. Major League Baseball has certainly been cooking over the last week, finally, as we're just a couple of weeks away from the start of spring training, or not. I'll explain why there may be a push to start the season a little bit later. Also, a ton of signings and trades, in particular, Nolan Arenado to St. Louis and a classic salary dump, so you know I have a lot to say about that. Also, the latest regarding no one being elected into the Hall of Fame for 2021. Better late than never that the hot stove has the front and back burners on high heat as pitchers and catchers are on our radar here in the course of the next couple of weeks. I'll have everything that's happening in the association the week that was, including discussions about the All-Star Game in March Which seems absurd right about now, but I'll touch on that as well as what's happening on the ice in the NHL I'll also sprinkle in some college basketball and get into my hero and zero of the week We can now officially turn on the clock to start the countdown as we're just six days away from crowning a champion After a quick but enduring year that the Shield, aka the NFL Has gone through as Super Bowl Sunday is now in our sights We just hope, not that I'm trying to jinx this here That no tests come up positive here over the course of the next three, four, five days. So you have to remember, it's not just the players that we're talking about. It's the assistant coaches, training staff, equipment and locker room attendance, security. All these people that are involved with running an organization are on notice as the NFL holds their breath and jumps through one last obstacle before they can exhale an enormous sigh of relief. And despite the great job that the powers that be the NFL have done, of course, out of all the leagues, They were the least impacted. Now, granted, their season ended last year, in Miami, in February, where the Kansas City Chiefs won their first Super Bowl in 50 years, and then the coronavirus was introduced to the country and then the world roughly six weeks after that, so they didn't have to cancel or postpone their season, but the biggest sport in the country by far, and the spectacle, the 55th game of this magnitude, will be front and center this coming Sunday, 6 p.m., down in Tampa, where we have the Buccaneers' first time ever that a team will be in their home stadium to host the Super Bowl, going up against the aforementioned Chiefs. And I get that there's a lot of things we could talk about this game. I know that there are storylines, we talked about a little bit last week, and everything that's on the line here, whether it's the Chiefs going for back-to-back for the first time since the 03-04 Patriots, the budding dynasty that we may see with Kansas City, considering that the quarterback has been signed long-term, Kelsey's been signed, Tyreek Hill has his deal, and those are the three main components. We also have to think about that offensive line, which they will not see Eric Fisher here in the Super Bowl game as he tore his Achilles in the championship game against Buffalo, but pretty much all the pieces are intact for this team to make a run here, similar to the Golden State Warriors, because we can't look at this from a 8, 9, 10-year window. We know the NFL is year in, year out. We get that these windows now consist of anywhere between three to five years. We get that the Patriots had the long sustained success, but remember, that was over the course of 20 years in which they won six Super Bowls, but they were bookended between the early part of Belichick's career and Brady, of course, and then the latter part in which they won their last Super Bowl just two years ago down in Atlanta. So with all that surrounding the Chiefs, and then of course we know from the Buccaneer side, number 12, the former Patriot himself, first year in Tampa, taking his team here to this point knowing that they're just one win away from the franchise's second Super Bowl and this improbable run which started after them losing week 12 to the Kansas City Chiefs, their last loss in this whole run of their season and where they had a bye, they finished up their final four games of the regular season strong by sweeping those games to get into the postseason and we know what they've done to get here to this point. But everything revolves around the quarterback and knowing that his Legacy and his legend, which is already cemented But this will be taken up another notch Because when you look at A guy that turned 43 before the start of the season People thought that after last year And minus not having the weapons in New England People thought that the decline was ready to begin That even with all the weapons that he was able to inherit Here in Tampa You figure that at 43 years old Not having the arm strength, the mobility We know what he has in between his ears. But is that going to be enough for them to push them to get to this point? And what have we seen? He has all proven us that Tom Brady arguably is the greatest quarterback of all time. Now, we understand if he wins this game, he's going to be put into another pedestal, another level when it comes to champions in this country. Because think about it. If he does win his seventh ring... He will have more rings than Michael Jordan. And we know Jordan, especially over the last 30, 35 years, he has been the standard when it comes to champions in this country. We could go before that with Bill Russell winning 11 titles during his days with the Boston Celtics, or even before that, Yogi Berra with the iconic New York Yankees. And we could go through all the other players that have won anywhere between 7 to 10 titles. And even... Someone like Robert Ory, who obviously does not get anywhere near the pub of the greats of the game, but he does own seven rings, and it's something that a lot of people kind of forget or get swept under the rug because of who he is. Now, we all know Robert Ory was a very good player, role player, champion in Houston, LA with the Lakers, and then the last two with the Spurs. But when it comes to the giants of the sport, when it comes to the immortal player, Brady winning this one will put him past Jordan, and he'll have bragging rights over him for the rest of his life. Now, is that a motivating factor for him to win this title? We all know it's a team game. He just wants to win the game, and then wherever the chips may fall after that, he'll look at it and say, well, yes, now I do have one more than MJ, but that's not the point here. The bottom line is that he is just one win away from getting number seven To put a bow on a season that was improbable from the start, as I mentioned from the very outset of this theme, when it comes to the battles of coronavirus and having to move games, postpone, reschedule, etc. And he and his Buccaneer team is just 60 minutes away from accomplishing that. Now, to me, I'm just going to be cutting dry, people. I could go through X factors. I could go through so many different scenarios. Who's going to be the... Key player or what are they going to be the keys to the game and I know you're going to listen to a lot of Pre-game stuff and wherever else you may get your sports You'll certainly digest and probably regurgitate a lot of that stuff But to me how I look at this game is very cut and dry But before I get to that the one final storyline that i'm going to look at here I understand that we live in a world of covid so this is a super bowl that's going to be unlike any other You're going to have 22,500 participants in the stands Where 7,500 of them are essential workers Frontline Medical workers, etc So you're not going to have your typical Super Bowl crowd there And also all the Super Bowl parties And the pomp and circumstance that takes place At a Super Bowl site With all the NFL experience stuff All the parties, etc You're not going to have any of that But even with that said You have to wonder whether or not this home field leading up to the game will be a disadvantage for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. This was something that I said last week, and I'm not going to get too deep into it, because if this was a regular or normal Super Bowl, I think it'd be that much more of a factor. Think about it. These players would be distracted left and right, where you'd have tons of family coming down, where they won't have to worry about staying in hotels. They could just stay at the homes of these players requests for tickets, requests for all these different events that are going to take place here throughout the course of the Super Bowl week, and obviously with media day and having to deal with that, where it's going to be all virtual, they don't have to worry about that, the players of the Buccaneers that is, but knowing that they're home, knowing that they have the comforts of the environment, and where they live, and where they're able to travel, to go places, familiarity, etc., You wonder if that could be a little bit of a mental disadvantage. We know that they're going to be ready for the game. We know that they're going to be pumped up, ready to go. It's a Super Bowl. But with everything that could happen throughout the course of the week, will it just take off that edge just a little? And maybe not just mental. It could be also psychological, maybe even spiritual to a certain extent because they have so many requests or so many things that they're doing throughout the course of the week on top of the football stuff. That it becomes a little overbearing Just something to keep in mind I would think that they're going to Not only have as normal of a week as the Buccaneers will have My thinking Is that They will be sequestered somewhere Outside of Tampa Where they'll have their team headquarters Where they'll be able to practice Where they'll be in a hotel Staying in the same spot where they don't have to worry about any of the outside noise, I would think that that's going to be the case. We do know that Kansas City is going to arrive on Friday. So Tampa, I would think, whether they've done so or not, and I guess they want it to be fair, even with them hosting the Super Bowl, that maybe they will convene sometime in the middle of the week, maybe Wednesday or Thursday, just to make it a little bit fair for Kansas City because they're not going to arrive until... The end of this week. Just something to keep in mind in the back of your head. Because we have never seen anything like this. Where a team that's hosting the Super Bowl is actually going to be playing in the game. In their own building. In their own city. So now as I transition to the game. It's not about which key player. What guy on defense. Who's the X factor as I said a couple of minutes ago. This is more about how Tampa is going to win this game than Kansas City is. And how I look at it is, as long as Kansas City doesn't beat themselves, they're going to win the game. And we saw that last year versus San Francisco, where they faced a better defense than Tampa Bays, where Patrick Mahomes, if you remember, threw that pick with 10 minutes to go down 20-10, to and then as they got the ball back, they had a 3rd and 15 with about 6.5 minutes to go, and Patrick Mahomes found Tyree Kill up the seam on that big gain I forgot how many yards it was 30 something yards and at that juncture which was the turning point of the game they were able to take off from there and win 31-20 so even when the Chiefs do beat themselves they find a way because of that offense and we know who the cast of characters are now if this is an even game no turnovers Casey's the better team uh, how could you not? Forget about the records. We understand they were 14-2 and two and Tampa was 11-5. and five. And you can even also forget about the regular season game that I mentioned, Tampa's last loss, where Casey in that building beat them. And here we are now, just days away from the rematch of that November 29th game. And this is all you need to know about Tampa. Based on what's transpired here in this postseason. You go back to the divisional game against New Orleans where they had three turnovers that they converted in the most crucial part of the game into touchdowns, and they went on to win 30-20. You look at the game last week in Green Bay where they had two key turnovers, and they converted that to touchdowns. Obviously, the one to Scotty Miller there right before the half where that was all on Kevin King and Mike Pettin's defense where Pettin now no longer has a job as he's been shipped out of Green Bay and then of course the fumble by Aaron Jones which on the next play Cameron Brayton the end zone for Tom Brady those two turnovers led to touchdowns they're going to need the same result here in order for them to win because like I said if the turnover battle is even the Chiefs are going to win the game and Tampa's going to need those turnovers to convert in order for them to win and as we saw last year and I get people could say, "Well, come on J Reels that was last year different game whatever but we know that the Chiefs could overcome their faults, depending on a part of the game. But you did see, and it's in their resume, how they were able to come back down 20-10 to 10 to put up 21 points in the final six minutes and win going away. The Chiefs, as we all know, they're a high octane, probably the best offense since the greatest show on turf of the Rams back in the late 1990s into the 2000s. So Tampa has to be near perfect. KC, as long as they don't implode, as long as they don't beat themselves, like I said, I think they're going to win the game 30-22. to Will it be close? Maybe early on. I wouldn't be surprised if Tampa right away tries to go for the juggler early, tries to show Kansas City that, yeah, we're not going to try to be methodical. We're not going to try to just run on first down maybe throw on second down or just try to eat up the clock. Now we know that they're going to get into a shootout with the Chiefs. That plays right into their hands. But I could see maybe early on Bruce Arians maybe wanting to push the pedal to the metal and make sure that his team strikes first, strikes quickly, and to show that KC they're going to be in for a long evening because Tampa, they do have their playmakers and they do have the quarterback. But we all know Kansas City could counter with that and then some. That's how I look at the Super Bowl, people. I understand you may feel a little like, hey, I want to hear more about what J. Reels has to say. That's what it's going to boil down to, people. I don't want to hear, oh, they got a double-team Kelsey or double-team Tyreek Hill or, yes, the Buck defense is going to have to be opportunistic to get those turnovers. Yeah, we know that. I'm telling you something that you already know. And I get that. You're going to hear it from all the other outlets. And I'm glad that you've come here to listen to me share my thoughts but when it really boils down to when you look at how the postseason has gone especially for the Buccaneers they're here because of them converting those turnovers because without it there's no way that they'd be in this position to win a Super Bowl and with KC as we've seen time and time again all you got to do is even look to the game against Buffalo people want to say J Reels again last year come on that was San Francisco a different game Super Bowl setting all right well let's look at last week where Miko Hardman, early in the game, fumbled the ball, 9-0. Right away, Kansas City could have been a little tight. Kansas City could have played a little close to the vest. But what happened? Blink of an eye, it's 21-9 and they go running away with the game and it wasn't even competitive after that. So that's what I'm talking about. Now you had a ton of news and notes here over the last week with rumors, trades, hirings, People weren't hired, etc. And I'm going to try to breeze through this because I do have a lot to discuss here, especially with the baseball, because I couldn't believe what has transpired in baseball. But I get that that's for later on. Everybody's now in NFL mode. Where do I begin? Do I start off with the the Sean Watson soap opera, which I talked about last week and how he's requested a trade to be sent out of Houston? And then on top of that, from reports at the end of the season... J.J. Watt looks like is a guy that has played his last game as a Houston Texan and with that they bring in David Cully who is the Baltimore wide receiver coach and passing game coordinator so he was your next coach not Eric Bieniemy, 65 years old Cully a lot of people may think well, hey maybe is he going to be a guy that's going to relate to the younger player is he going to be a guy that at 65 getting his first head coaching job Is this going to be an experiment that may go wrong or may go bust? Now, Cully did say that he took the job knowing that the quarterback was going to be there in Watson. But all the reports say that he's going to be gone. And although we haven't heard it from Watson himself, this is his representation, of course. We do wonder whether or not if this is going to be a done deal, whether the quarterback is going to leave Houston and then pretty much going to have to blow it up and start over. And as I've said time and time again, which would be a disaster, because if you're the Texans, even with a disgruntled quarterback there, you have to do whatever it takes to sit this kid down, to tell him that, yes, we've made mistakes, be honest, be transparent. He'll respect that. Now, he may still want to be traded, but don't just leave it up there in the open or come out in the media and say, yes, we still want him as quarterback, but then not meet with him or his representatives or to mend these fences so you could have your franchise quarterback in tow here for the next 10 years we all know that he's been signed to that long-term deal oh well, four years but he's going to be part of the mix until the 2025 season barring a trade but then this is twofold because you wonder if Deshaun Watson and again we haven't heard it from him not only does he want to trade but Eric Bieniemy was a guy that was on his radar as far as perhaps him being his head coach and we all know that Biennemi, over the last couple of years, has not been able to get a job, and it's a travesty that he hasn't, and he's going to have to wait another off You could talk about all the different scenarios, whether it's the deep post-seasons the last three years, because remember, they made it to the conference championship two years ago, obviously the Super Bowl last year, and here we are on the brink of another Super Bowl, where these teams want to hire these guys right away, and the availability of these coaching prospects or candidates they're pretty much waiting in the wind because their seasons aren't over yet. And we also got to throw in the fact with his relationship with Andy Reid, who is more the play caller on this team, who is more the coordinator, all those things you could conjure up. Understood. But it is a joke how the enemy has been left out in the cold again without a job. And you would think going into next year, he's going to be the leading candidate for whatever job and whatever teams that are going to go belly up this coming year. So that's number one. And number two, the situation with Cully. Now we know Watson, he's not a guy that's going to upset the apple cart. We understand that he's frustrated. We understand that he's been perturbed by what's taking place here in Houston. And can they mend these fences? Well, it's up to Cal McNair to do so. And if he hasn't done so already, I'm surprised he hasn't driven up to his house with a big giant bouquet of flowers on bended knees saying, What can we do to keep you here? What can we do to not trade you? We want you to be a part of this organization. Because when the fans come back, and the fans have already had it with this organization based on some of the things that I've heard and even read over the last couple of weeks, they have to pull out all the stops to keep number four there in a Texan uniform. It's all there is to it. So now, what are the prospects of him being traded? Because we've heard a ton of rumors And the likelihood of the one scenario, because of the boatload of picks that they have, is the New York Jets. And I'm going to say this right off the bat, I am not a Jet fan, and obviously living in New York, I know a ton of Jet fans. So I haven't really taken the pulse as I should, because again, these rumors haven't really been percolating, and you still have to wait and see how this is going to play out, whether Watson does come out with a press conference, or does come out with a statement saying that, yes, I've played my last game. As a Texan But the reason why If I'm the Jets I wouldn't trade for him One is Not because of the player And not because of the contract Because the Jets have I believe At least 70 million That they're under the cap But they've come to this point Similar to the Brooklyn Nets Before the James Harden deal Where They had Drafted all these pieces They had a bunch of young Players that were Building up throughout the years To the point where now They've made themselves known as solid NBA players, whether your name is Karis LeVert or even Jared Allen. And we both know that they were part of this trade for James Harden. So if you're the Jets, why would you even think about trading the picks that you've received from Seattle in the Jamal Adams trade? Also trading your future because there's no way that the Houston Texans, based on what you saw there last week with the Matthew Stafford trade for Jared Goff, and you know I'm going to get into that, That if Stafford fetched all those picks in return What does this mean if the Jets Were to pursue Deshaun Watson They would pretty much have to give up Their draft picks from now until the year 2030 So does the Jet fan want to do that right now? Now we know the Jets aren't anywhere near Close to a playoff team let alone a Super Bowl But if you're going to bring Watson in You're going to have 35 million tied into your quarterback we know you have a left tackle in place which is great but who are your playmakers? Who's your running back? Your receivers? Etc. You're not going to have a team that's going to complement Watson and his ability to be able to get the ball downfield and we understand that he's going also going to run too at times but you're going to have this guy stuck in purgatory for two, three years because you've not only traded away all your picks but now your cap is going to take a significant hit understandably so with the quarterback but then how are you going to shape up your team moving forward once you acquire this player so the Jets should just keep Donald keep doing what they're doing try to get in those players they could sign free agents they could do all different types of things to at least get themselves back to some sort of respectability maybe as soon as next year but if they were to trade for Watson that's not going to happen yes they may have the guy that they can market their team around face of the franchise and we also understand that they could trade Sam Darnold and get something back in return for him. But they're going to give up a lot more for Watson than, than what they're going to get back for Donald. So you just might as well keep Darnold for one more year. Try to get some offensive pieces around him. Even if you want to draft the tackle, I believe, from Oregon, you want to bookend him with Becton, beautiful. Or if you want to go after Devontae Smith to get that weapon, To be that wide out, that threat for Sam Darnold, go for it. But I think it would not be wise for Woody Johnson, Joe Douglas, the GM, and company to just say, the hell with it. Let's bring this quarterback in and we'll worry about the aftermath later. Because just like with the Nets, they may have the three-headed monster of Durant, Irving, and Harden, but you got no one to play defense. As evidenced last night in the game where they had a 146-141 lead with 12 seconds to go and ended up losing. So that's what I would do if I'm the Jets. I would hold on to what I have and let Watson go elsewhere. But the thing is is that the Jets may be the only team that the Texans will seduce because of the stockpile of draft picks that they have. Now let's go to that trade that took place on Friday between the Rams and the Lions where the Lions received Jared Goff and a boatload of picks I might add including two number one picks in 2022 and 2023 now granted those picks are probably going to be in the 20s or maybe in the 30s if you're a Ram fan and to my guy Beck the Ram fan in upstate New York I wonder how he feels today knowing that this trade is taking place because if you're the NFL this has to cease because the Rams all they've done since they drafted Jared Goff is trade away their number one picks as if it's going out of style they will not have a number one pick now for seven years running. I mean, who does that? And we could go through all the trades. we talked about Jared Goff, obviously Brandon Cooks in the trade with New England where they got a number one pick, the Jalen Ramsey trade where they traded both their 2021 and last year's pick in 2020, and now in 2022 and 23, the number one pick is going to go to the Lions. First off, Matthew Stafford is not. And I underline, not worth giving up that much to get a guy who, let's face it, has never won a playoff game in his life, has been in the playoffs two times, and on top of that, yes, he is a great thrower of the football, and we understand that he has ability, he's thrown for over 5,000 yards, but then again, just about anybody could throw for 5,000 yards in today's NFL. But there is no way that if you're a Ram fan, or even the ownership, GM, whatever, there was no way that you have to give up that much to get him in return and I understand part of that was well they have to pay Jared Goff where I believe his extension started last year so he has three more years at whatever it is 100 and some odd million but even still if you're the Rams I'll give you 2022 first round pick and maybe a third as they're giving up a third round pick this year but back-to-back number ones like I said Deshaun Watson is worth a lot more than that only because he's eight years younger has a lot more in front of him where Stafford he hasn't proven to win a big game in his life. And there's the other thing. Are the Rams really thinking even with the boy wonder genius Sean McVay that Matthew Stafford is the final piece to take the Rams to the promised land? All of a sudden he's John Elway? I I don't understand. Two first round picks? Boy, I tell you, Stafford better be renewed, revived, and it's not as if he's going to a team like the, even the Buccaneers. We understand they have some nice pieces there. Robert Woods, Cooper Cup, Higby, the tight end is is decent. They have a good running game, but it's not as if he's going to the Rams. And like I said earlier, it's Isaac Bruce, Torrey Holt, Marshall Falk, Oz Hakim. There's no way near that team. I was just puzzled I couldn't believe it I could not believe that the Lions got all that in return and I don't want to hear about the golf contract I get it that they have to pay him and they were because they had to pay him we had to get these picks the Rams didn't have to say yes to that and I understand that there was probably a deadline where they knew the Rams and the Lions were probably going to be the only two teams that can make a trade like this work because of the contracts because I believe Stafford is I think he has one more year left maybe two I don't even remember off the top of my head but yeah, I just, oh my God. I, I just didn't like it, if you're a Ram fan. And it's not even about the picks, yes, but Stafford? That's your guy? Might as well kept Goff. And we understand Goff is hit or miss. Maybe more miss than hit. But at least he's played and won in big games. What has Stafford done? It's done nothing. So we're going to see how that pans out in uh, Southern California. I tell you, man, that was, woof. I still, as I'm talking about it now, I can't get over it. Forget about just the trade. But again, Matthew Stafford. And I don't want to throw ice water on him, but uh, please. NFL fans, I'm sure you feel me. And there may be a couple of the Stafford fans that are like, come on, you got to give him a break. He's going on a new team. Okay, maybe. But again, what has he done in his NFL career, especially in his post career? And you can say he's played on bad teams, Jay Reels. But he did have Calvin Johnson there for what is it. Nine of those seasons or eight of those seasons because Johnson, I believe, was drafted, what, 08? And Stafford came in the year after. I mean, he had Megatron there. And they still didn't win anything. All right, let me move on here. Jason Witten retires again. 11-time Pro Bowler. He's going to be a first ballot Hall of Famer. You would think this is going to be it. Who knows what he's going to do. I doubt he's going to go into the broadcast booth. Who knows? He'll probably show up somewhere on a Fox Sports or maybe even ESPN to do studio work Remains to be seen But congratulations to him Also Just some great news out of Washington Where Ron Rivera the coach As announced by his daughter Is Cancer free So good for Coach Rivera As they had to overcome that Pretty much since training camp And even though they finished At 7-9 They did win a division They did host a playoff game Ended up losing But Maybe that could be a building block For a team Into their future And hopefully the coach Will be in tow there So that was great news And then one last thing With Ben Roethlisberger I know that It's been reported That he wants to stay there For another year He understands that They're going to have to Take a pay cut As ownership came out And said that they want Ben back But in the climate Of coronavirus And with him being 41.25 million Toward that cap That they're going to have to Reduce that Ben is all right with that. He's cool. Hopefully it could come with a number going into his last year. And I read reports that the Steelers, before Stafford was traded there, that they should bring in Stafford. And there's also been reports that Aaron Rodgers could be Pittsburgh as a destination for him to land, possibly. Uh, where's these? Where is this stuff coming from? You mean to tell me that they're just going to let Roethlisberger go and have dead money on the cap and then bring in a guy who's going to make, in essence equivalent to what Roethlisberger makes Uh, come on talk about wishful thinking and with Roethlisberger I know he wants to come back and I want him to come back one more year but this is it no extensions I don't care if he is MVP and they win the Super Bowl next year this is it for him and this is talking as a lifelong Steeler fan as you well know all I hope is that whatever the money is I'm sure it's gonna be cut in half Ben has made a ton of money in his career It's going to be about that now. I get you don't want to play for $2 million considering he'll be 39 next month and that he's going into the final year of his career. But hey, I'm sure he'll be happy with anywhere between 15 to 20 million if it's going to help out the team. So let's see how that unfolds. All right, let me uh, move on to a few other things. I'll save baseball for later on. I'm going to sandwich the NBA and NHL together. I'll say this twofold. In reference to coronavirus, we get that the NBA is postponed a lot of games, same for the NHL. My thing is, is that how are these games going to be made up here is beyond me. They haven't come out with a plan. They haven't said as to when are these games going to be rescheduled. I understand a lot of this just happens on the fly and you can't automatically reschedule these games or look at the calendar and say, oh, aha, we got this week where we could block out. Now we do know they had that week. I believe in March sometime where they're going to use it as their all-star break. I know it's unfair to the player to make up some of those games during that time, but you have to wonder, and this goes for the NHL as well. You have to wonder whatever their plan is. And even if it's something that is pretty much being done in their offices, as we speak, they have to make sure that these games get played or at least get scheduled to where they could look at the end of the season if you're the NBA if they're not going to play 72 games maybe these teams end up playing 68 or same for the NHL 56 some of them play 52 because look at what Major League Baseball had to do now mind you they only had a two-month season but with what happened with the Marlins early on where they didn't play for nine days and then the St. Louis Cardinals two and a half weeks and we understand that there no such thing as doubleheaders as they did in baseball. Obviously, you can't do that in the NBA or the NHL. But they may have to schedule some of these back-to-backs. And especially with the NHL, where they have the luxury of the way the, the divisions have been aligned. Because with certain teams, for instance, the Dallas Stars, they didn't start till about 9, 10 days ago. But they know that they could play those series, whether it's back-to-backs, or if they know that they're going to play, let's say... Nashville, that they could have these games where if there is a day off, or even if there's a couple days off, that they'll have to reschedule one of those games on that particular date. And the travel isn't as much because everything is pretty much in that region according to that division. But as far as the NBA goes, yeah, if you're the Wizards where they finally started playing last week, but let's say, and I don't believe they haven't played the Lakers as of yet, but if a team that's on the West Coast, they were supposed to play whether in Washington or in that destination, how are you going to make up that game where you got to be flying all over the country in order to make that up? So you got to wonder what's the plan here for the NBA because they cannot finish a season with some teams playing 72 games and other teams playing 64 or 66 because that's going to affect not only the standings and especially when it comes to the top eight in the postseason season, And we get that there's probably going to be some playing tournament along the line. You know that they're going to incorporate that. And I believe they actually did announce that prior to the start of the season. In my opinion, they have to make sure that this schedule gets fulfilled because we've seen it in baseball, obviously the NFL. With the NFL is a little bit different because it's a week by week thing, but we've seen they had to maneuver times and games and days. NBA and the NHL have to do the same thing. They just can't have these seasons go by the wayside or just oh I'm not going to play this game so if you only played 60 games and you're the let's say New York Knicks and you have a chance to make it to the postseason but you're probably part of that playing tournament but if they're playing 60 and everybody else is playing 68 70 72 come on you wonder what's the plan here Just something to keep an eye on Because I know I'm looking at it And I haven't really been like Fully delved into the NBA Although this past week I did get my dose Of course I watched the game Saturday night Between the Lakers and Celtics There on ABC Very good game Entertaining game Obviously it came down To the final possession there Where Anthony Davis Was stripped of the ball Jalen Brown made a great attempt To save it As it was about to be stolen I believe by Alex Caruso And then The pass over to Kemba Walker Who had a Good open look in and out, and then Daniel Tice was Johnny on the spot, but his putback came right after the buzzer, and not only that, but it hit off the rim anyway, so it probably wouldn't have counted. And the Celtics lose another crushing game to the Lakers, and they've lost a lot of those games to the Lakers over the years, even going back to that one regular season game. And I'm talking regular season, not postseason. Going back to that regular season game, I want to say what was that? 87? It may have been the 87 season where Magic Johnson had that running, I believe it was a three-pointer, that it banked off the glass, and then he ran right into the locker room. You also had Rajon Rondo, who I believe last year had that one, no, the year before that, because last year the Celtics killed the Lakers on Martin Luther King Day, but the year before that, where Rondo had the game-winning shot against his former team. So they had a lot of these buzzer beaters. Kobe went in there one day where the Celtic fans were chanting MVP. So the Lakers had a lot of these last second victories in that building over the years. Some of the ones I just mentioned, and I'm sure there's probably a couple that are missing. So tough for the Celtics there as they've been trying to keep their head above water where Tatum was out for quite some time and he's played well. He played well the other night against the Lakers. And then you also had yesterday, I talked about it a little bit before with the Brooklyn Nets and that final 12 second stretch to where Kyrie Irving makes the second of two free throws. 146 to 141 where Bradley Beal comes running up the court stops makes a three and then Joe Harris I don't know what he was seeing he was trying to get the ball into Kevin Durant totally missed him it was then taken by Garrison Matthews who then shuttled it over to Russell Westbrook who he drained a three and just like that 147 146 Nets can't make a bucket two free throws later and the game is over So there is your net defense in full display there yesterday and that's one that you're probably going to see over and over and over throughout the course of the season because that's a team that's going to have to win in the postseason similar to the way they played last night. They're going to have to win in the 120s or the 130s in order for them to get a championship. And then the Utah Jazz who had that long winning streak 11 games over the last two and a half weeks stopped yesterday by Nikola Djokic and the Denver Nuggets as he poured 47 points to stop their streak and you got to give it up to Denver who is now trying to see if they could get themselves in proper footing after their slow start there out in the West so the up to the date when we're looking at the NBA here the Sixers have certainly played very well over this stretch including a win against the Lakers there the other day in fact the Lakers had a two game losing streak going into Boston before winning that game but the Sixers who had a big comeback win yesterday Without Joel Embiid in the lineup That's the first time that they've actually won Without him in the lineup I believe they were 0-4 prior to that But now Philadelphia is at the top of the East At 15-6 Followed by the Nets The Bucks They can't seem to get anything going They lost to the Pelicans there a couple nights ago And then got blown out by the Hornets in Charlotte The night after Then you have the Celtics Pacers The Hawks have played pretty well Give it to them as they're 10-9 Cleveland has hit the skids here a little bit With a couple of losses uh, over the weekend Including to the Knicks there on Friday And then you also round that out with the Hornets there At the bottom of the top eight Where the Knicks are just a half game back Of the final playoff spot And I know it's early to talk playoffs Or talk seedings there But that's what we have I know some of the disappointments And I talked uh, about disappointments there Last week Miami Heat was one And they're going to be without Tyler Harrow As we all know They've been affected by COVID big time with Jimmy Butler finally getting back into the rotation, but now Hero's going to be out due to the coronavirus protocol. But Toronto is starting to get their sea legs under them, but they're still on the outside looking in. And then you pretty much have the rest where the Pistons, Wizards, Magic round out your East. As far as the West goes, the Clippers who are here in town, they beat the Knicks yesterday and they'll play the Brooklyn Nets tomorrow. Atop the Western Conference, there sixteen and five. The Jazz, with their loss, they're just a half game behind the Clippers. Where the Lakers are just a game behind the Clippers there. So you have a logjam at the top of the West. We just talked about Denver, Memphis, who they've been affected by COVID, and we got to wait and see how these games going to be made up for them. As we mentioned just a few minutes ago, followed that by Phoenix, Portland, Golden State, and then San Antonio playing well. You got to look at also Houston. They've won five in a row. So you wonder if there's a camaraderie working there with Wall, Cousins, P.J. Tucker, Eric Gordon under the first year coach. I haven't really followed the Rockets and why should I? But give it up to them as they've gotten themselves at least a 500. And the Mavericks have played very well. They, You know what? They've been a disappointment. In fact, last week when I talked about them, they were 8-7. and seven. And we know Porzingis has been in and out of the lineup. And with Luka, he could only do with so much. But now they've lost five in a row. And they've been, by far, if you look at all the teams in the both East and West, they have to be right up there. Is a big disappointment. I didn't mention that last week only because, yeah, they were flirting at 500 or game over at the time. But since then, they have bottomed out. And they're going to need some help quick, fast, and a hurry. And even though the Pelicans have played a little bit better, but not much there if you're looking for the Pelicans to make that leap to be not necessarily at the top of the West, but somewhere in that bottom rung, whether it's a uh, four, five, six, seven, or eight in the Western Conference. But still a lot of basketball to be played. We'll focus on more as time goes on. And pretty much the same for college basketball. When you look at some of the teams that have fallen out of the top 10, whether you're Tennessee, who dropped as far down as 18, although they have righted the ship there a little bit, they won a couple of games in the past week. So maybe they'll creep up in the rankings but if you're Kansas and Wisconsin they dropped down to 14 and 15 respectively actually Wisconsin's now 14 and then Kansas 15 but when you look at the top 10 Gonzaga Baylor Villanova which has been pretty much the top three for quite some time Michigan with them moving up a couple spots during the pause of activities due to COVID so they're they're ranked number four in the country followed by Texas then Houston Iowa had dropped a few spots with losses to Indiana and Illinois. Then you had Virginia, who moved into the top 10, but they just lost to in-state rival Virginia Tech. And Alabama, do we have to worry about the basketball team being a threat? God only knows, we're sick and tired of the football team, so double duty there down in Tuscaloosa with the Bama basketball team. So they have made some waves here in the season, but they did come off a loss to Oklahoma over the weekend, so we'll keep our eyes on that. And then to round out the top 10 would be Texas Tech, and we talked about them a couple weeks ago with Mack McClung. So again, Gonzaga, Baylor, Villanova, Michigan, and Texas are your top five, followed by Houston, Iowa, Virginia, Alabama, and Texas Tech. I'm sure that that will flip-flop with the losses that I mentioned recently to Virginia and Alabama. So we'll keep our eyes on the college basketball as well as the NBA. And also one other thing, if I may, to go back to the NBA for a second, I know that the owners and the players association are in discussion of possibly hosting an all-star game in Atlanta sometime in March again going back to that week where they were to have off and then now they're entertaining the thought of bringing an all-star game for what reason I have absolutely no idea we understand who the best players are and if the coaches or players were to select or even the fans select who would be the twelve players in each conference and as we've seen over the last few years it's pretty much been like team LeBron versus team Steph or team Giannis versus team LeBron so they've pretty much done away with the old eastern western conference what is the point in having an all-star game if you're going to be two and a half months into a season and then to have this week where I understand you want to celebrate the players but let's just try to get through a season the all-star game it's pretty much for the young folk Someone like myself, I can't sit there and watch a 155 to 151 type of game. And I know last year was a little different with the whole Kobe Bryant memorial and everything that they tried to do to tail the game, especially in that fourth quarter to where, I guess, what, the first team that scores 24 points. I don't know how they did it, but it's all gimmicky. I could care less. I'd rather them either take the whole week off or make it to where They take a couple of days out of that week to make up some games and then have five days off. That's how I look at it. So it would be a complete waste of time to have them set up an all-star game where we all know it surrounds the weekend where it's the shootout and the slam dunk competition. Also the rookies versus sophomores game. Just scrap the whole thing. And just go ahead and plow through the season And then maybe what you could do is next year You could plan your game in Atlanta To me that only makes sense Because part of that whole spectacle Is to have the people go to that city The parties It's kind of like a Super Bowl weekend But it's just an exhibition where At the end of the day Five minutes after it's done You don't remember what the final score was Or who won So that's just my take on it Now quickly to the NHL I know you've had some news this week where the Penguins and their GM Jim Rutherford had to resign citing personal reasons had nothing to do with health but the assistant GM is now Patrick Alvin he will now be the interim and take over for Jim Rutherford we know that the Penguins are going to be a team that a lot of people are going to look at to see if they have one last championship push after some playoff disappointments in the last couple of years and with this group of Crosby Malkin letang etc this is I'm not going to say it's a last gasp but we're getting close to the end here and even with a short NHL season 56 games top four in each conference makes it to the postseason we all know it's just the luck of the dice and a hot goalie that could get you from round one all the way to a Stanley Cup final so it will remain to be seen what the Penguins will do as we get closer to a deadline how much closer they are to making it into whether the top four spots Or entrenched themselves in the top spot In the east And it's interesting Because you remember last year The Penguins They were riding high They started off the season slow And then they played very well Up until the coronavirus hit And once the restart came back They were a shell of their old selves And now with this go around 56 games More of a sprint than it is a marathon You wonder If there's any way shape or form that the Penguins can make that final push to get one last brass ring before Crosby, Malkin, etc. are into the twilight of their careers. You've also had a big return to the NHL for one Alexander Ovechkin as he finally was able to get past the COVID protocol and produced in his first game, returning with an overtime winner against the Bruins as the Capitals have not lost a game in regulation this year they do have three overtime losses but the capitals are looking speaking of pushes to get themselves back to the nhl mountaintop as they've gotten off to a great start and even with COVID affecting their team it certainly hasn't been a negative as they've been able to plow through and trudge along without their captain and megawatt star so you wonder how the capitals are going to be from here on out and even in the east funny enough i look at my islanders and they've gotten off to a bad start here, 3-4-2. and two. I get that seven of the games are on the road, but you wonder if they're going to be anything close to what they were last year to obviously make it not only just to the postseason, but get to a conference final in which they did. Very early to tell, still a lot of hockey to be played, but it certainly does not look encouraging if you're an Islander fan right now with the way they've started off. In fact, they're just right ahead of the Rangers at the bottom of the Eastern Conference. And then you looked at the other day, speaking of stars in the league, I know the highlight over the weekend was the Connor McDavid goal against Toronto, where he went coast to coast. He had defensemen playing the puck. I get that he's a blur. I get that he's pretty much the next guy. After the Crosby Ovechkin era leaves, you're gonna have the Connor McDavid be the guy that's going to carry the mantle of that next generational player. And we get that the game's a lot different now than it was then. Where if that was Wayne Gretzky, who was similar in styles when you look at McDavid. And for him to get knocked on his rear by the defense, as opposed to just letting him skate right through the zone and put the puck in the net. He's a guy that the Edmonton Oilers, they've certainly underachieved here over the last few years. And they've had a lot of offensive firepower. They haven't done anything in the postseason. They were also, just like the Penguins last year, a product of a hot team going into the coronavirus. And then in that opening round against the Blackhawks, they got obliterated. So McDavid and company have a lot to prove there, especially when it comes time for the postseason. But he's a guy that a lot of people are going to look at more so in NHL circles because the casual fan or the person that's not really the diehard hockey fan, they're not going to look at what's happening north of the border unless you get to the postseason. But McDavid has had just a tremendous start to his season here. And you wonder what the Oilers will do to try to get themselves back at the top of the NHL. When we looked at the standings, I know it's too early. A lot of these teams have played but a handful of games. When you look at even just in the East, for instance, you have the Flyers with 10 games. We know about the situation with the Capitals now bringing back Ovechkin, but they have played nine games. They've pretty much been a nice balance there in the East, where in the Central, Florida, Carolina, Dallas, as we know, didn't start their season. They were the last team to even play a game and start their season. Tampa, they all have six games where Columbus, Chicago, and Detroit have all played 10. Now Vegas has had this issue with COVID so their next few games are going to be or have to be rescheduled. They have seven games where three of the teams in that division have already played 10. The Blues have played nine. And then in the north you have Toronto with double digits already under their belt. Vancouver and Edmonton have already played 11. And then you have Calgary 7, Winnipeg 8, Montreal 8. We're going to have to wait and see. It's going to be interesting as time goes by and how these leagues are going to be able to reschedule these games, as I said at the very top of this, because these playoffs are probably going to be a lot of these play-in tournaments. Who knows? That's just my thought. That's my guess right now. I know the NBA has pretty much put that out, as I've already noted, but the NHL, they're going to have to pretty much do the same thing. And you already have to start thinking, even though their seasons aren't going to end, the NBA and NHL for that matter, until late April. But they have to consider Doing another bubble scenario Don't you think? Maybe the NBA Doesn't want to do that again I know the hockey player Is so down low On the totem pole When it comes to maintenance Is concerned Because when you look at And let's call it as we see it The NBA player The NFL player They're more high maintenance Than the Hockey player So maybe They will look at Having to do another Two city Bubble Like they did last year With Edmonton Toronto I'm sure they don't want to do that, but obviously they can't go 56 games and then have to fall flat on their faces if coronavirus, and we're not going to know until April, as we get there with vaccines and with the way the virus is being controlled, and even with new variants coming from all parts of the world into this country, I tell you, it's just, it's a never ending saga, but we'll certainly continue to keep our fingers on the pulse when it comes to that. All right, baseball fans. Let's get to it because there is a lot to chew on here. With a rather dormant offseason up until I would say about ten to fourteen days ago, now you have so much baseball news that you would think that you're in the middle of summer. Let alone here, February. As I look out the window and I see snow piling on my windowsill, you have a lot of the the off-the-field stuff when it comes to the players and the owners, and that's where I'll start. because as of yesterday the players association are actually mulling a proposal by the owners to delay the start of this 2021 season now they want to change the schedule from 162 to 154 and move up spring training from two weeks from now till the middle of March so where they could actually start the season in mid to late April and they would still get their full salaries at 162 games so, who knows when that deadline or when that's going to be due as to the players' counter offer to that? Whether they want to wait another month or whether they're already in pretty much spring training mode, knowing that a couple of weeks out, everybody's going to have to report. And to push that back a month, maybe they don't want to do that. Who knows? I certainly don't know what the players are thinking from that regard, but the owners want to push that another month. So, we'll wait and see how that unfolds it's interesting that they only shaved eight games off and not tried to start let's say May 1st and play 148 games or 144 games like they did back in 1995 after the strike of 94 but with 154 it will bring back to those before my time where baseball did have 154 game season and then it was extended to 162 We know the early controversies of Roger Maris hitting 61 home runs, breaking Babe Ruth's record, but he did it in 162 games, as opposed to Ruth doing 154, but that's going back in time, of course. But we'll certainly see how that unfolds. But the big thing, earlier in the week, where the Players Association rejected the latest proposal by the owners for a universal DH and also an expanded playoff format, the union stance all along is to not talk about a trade of the DH in return for playoffs. They don't want to do that. Which I find it a little bit surprising only because the DH which they experimented with last year for 60 days or 60 games I thought worked fine and as we get into this final year of the CBA you would think that they would want to do that just for this one year for the National League to be able to have a DH to have players that maybe are out of position or to get that one guy who's a defensive liability to be that one bat in the lineup constant day in and day out. To me, I'm a National League guy. I'm at a point where I would like the DH to not be a part of it. I did see it last year. I'm not going to go crazy to say, yeah, keep it in. But we understand it's 2021. It's all about offense. We get that the strategy of having to take the pitcher out to pinch hit and double switch and things of that nature are probably going to be gone in the next year or so, or probably with the next collective bargaining agreement. So I'm actually surprised that the players did balk that and in turn not want to have the expanded playoff because they feel as if there'll be more teams to make the postseason, which would mean a lot more wheeling and dealing, you would think, because you looked at some of the teams that made it to the postseason last year, even with records under 500, a of the Milwaukee Brewers. But this is just the beginning, people, and as I said this, time after time after time, of Armageddon come the end of this baseball season later on this year. And based on some of the things that I heard and understood that the players and owners, they don't want to have this, as I like to say, 15 round drag down, knock them out, heavyweight fight. Because, forget about just putting coronavirus aside, they know that they don't want to sit for any extended period of time because obviously if the owners aren't getting paid, then the players aren't getting paid. And it's not the big time player, it's not the Mike Trouts, the Clayton Kershaws, the Giancarlo Stantons, the Bryce Harbors, etc. that are worried. It's the 25th man on the roster it's the mop-up guy out of the bullpen it's the utility guy the rookies the younger players that haven't even reached arbitration eligible it's those guys and they're more of those guys than they are the zillionaires that are going to be hit the most but of course they have to tow the company line with the players and have to follow suit and grin and bear it I get that this is a discussion for later on the season or at the end of the season but this is just another reminder and all you got to do is go back to last year with all the strife that they had in April, May, June to get their season started in late July that this is just another log to throw into the fire of what's to come here for baseball after this 2021 season but let's get on to bigger and better things let's get to some discussion here some breakdowns etc when we look at baseball and everything that's transpired the first thing I'll start here as far as another domino falling in the free agent frenzy especially of the high priced variety and after George Springer signed with the Toronto Blue Jays and the Blue Jays have been very active this offseason the Phillies re up JT Real Muto to the tune of five years $115 million which I believe is the most expensive contract ever given to a catcher so he was able to stay with the team that was traded for through the Miami Marlins so he will stay put to backstop Aaron Nola Zach Wheeler etc and then they also bring back Didi Gregorius to the tune of two years of $28 million so I'm sure the Philly fans were sweating it out a little bit, knowing that they may not get their catcher or shortstop back. So they're in the fold. They'll be fine come spring training, whatever that's going to start. But we're still waiting on Trevor Bauer. He's a guy that has been well chronicled and ballyhooed this offseason for everything that has gone on, whether him winning a Cy Young in a 60-game season or him blowing up Twitter with a lot of his comments and teams and places that he would like to land And one of those places still could be New York and the Mets, but with the Mets trading Steven Matz early in the week for three prospects, was the prospects who knows what they're going to turn out to be. But that frees 5.2 million off their books. In turn, they could possibly bring in a one Trevor Bauer. And as I said before, and I'll say it again, Bauer is a guy that is going to command a lot of attention. It's going to be a lot about him. Not only just through social media, but I'm sure with the press, good, bad, ugly, and different. We've seen some of the behaviors that he's had where he threw the ball in Kansas City over the center field wall when the manager, Terry Francona, was about to take him out of a game. We've seen his histrionics on the mound, swaying his shoulders around back and forth like Conor McGregor in the octagon. All this that you're going to bring in to make him, although I understand a short contract maybe anywhere between two to four years, but at $37 million dollars. He is going to make more in that room per year than anybody, including a one Jacob DeGrom. And despite the fact that Bauer could walk in there with his hardware and say, yes, I'm the best pitcher in the National League based on this award for last year. Well, there's a guy in the room who had won it two years prior to that and was in the top three in the running for last year. And who knows over the course of an 162 game season, although we'll never know, but probably would have been the favorite to win if that was the case. So when you have to deal with that type of persona in the locker room, a locker room for the most part that's been pretty together, a lot of camaraderie, you've seen it over the course of the last two years, whether your name is Peter Alonzo, whether your name is Michael Conforto, J.D. Davis, Dominic Smith, those guys have rallied around each other. So to bring in a guy like Bauer, and even though he's only on the mound once every five days, they have that aura of him always behind you. Now, will he be a good soldier when he comes here? Is he going to be healthy as far as competition towards one Jacob deGrom and some of the other pitchers on that staff? Or is he going to be a guy that's just going to have this inflated ego knowing that he feels that he's the best pitcher based on what the writers said last year and that's going to either napalm bridges or maybe connect them to hopefully winning a World Series. And it's not like he's already on the team. This is just what I forecast. And Bauer's only really had, when you think about it, the one good year. Now, he's had some solid years in Cleveland, but when you look at his latter couple of years in Cleveland, he's been an average pitcher. You know, this isn't a guy that's been lights out, game in, game out, or season in, season out to where you could look at it and say, well, yeah, this is going to be a difference maker. Can he still be that difference maker? Absolutely. But you don't know what you're going to get when he comes here And especially when he's playing in this market With this fan base With these expectations And as much as he may relish that But he's never had to face that I think about it He's been in Cleveland And I understand they haven't won a World Series in a zillion years But That fan base as good as they are It's not New York City It's not the Met fan So there's just so many dynamics when it comes to bringing him on And You know what If they do sign him Obviously I'm going to root for him I'm going to hope that he could be that final puzzle although I think there's still one really good offensive player away besides maybe shoring up that rotation to bring in a guy like Trevor Bauer but man that is buyer beware with it flashing neon lights and as bright as it possibly could be that's just me and quickly I'll say this about Stephen Matz it's just a shame that this local kid from Long Island Who started off with a bang in 2015 Was unable to pan out here I know he had some injuries early on Especially in that 2016 season But he was never able to get himself on track He throws upwards of 95 left handed Has very good stuff But he was unable just to be the guy that All right, was he supposed to end up being a number one or number two starter? No, but because he was left handed And him being a starting pitcher You would think at worst he would have been a number three starter and as it was last year, he was so bad that he got demoted to the bullpen. And then now with him earning $5.2 million this year and the Mets trying to shave off some salary for them to maybe bring in the likes of Trevor Bauer and be under the luxury tax. That's why he gets jettisoned for three prospects. So let's see how he does for the Jays as they've made a ton of moves. And one of those being Marcus Simeon, the former A Signed a one-year contract to play second base, $18 million All right, now let me get to this Nolan Arenado trade That happened on Friday, coincidentally With the Matthew Stafford to Jared Goff deal Now, Arenado, who has been a fixture in Colorado We all know his resume Gold Gluff, third baseman, I believe every year that he's been in the major leagues Power numbers All right, you want to say Colorado has something to do with that Playing in courts field, but still He's been a very productive and dominant offensive player throughout his career. Now goes to St. Louis in the quintessential salary dump. How can Colorado, in their right frame of mind, get back a 27-year-old pitcher who is the headliner of this trade and a one Austin Gomber and a bunch of low-level prospects for a guy that is a perennial all-star, is arguably the best third baseman in all of baseball, and then to think that they're sending $50 million over to St. Louis so in essence on the $199 million that's left on his contract they're paying 25% of it so when you think about it they're literally spending 50 cents on the dollar considering what they got back and even though Arenado has a no trade clause would you think that he would expect to waive it at some point but this is just an out and out disaster if you're Colorado and I'm sure they knew going in signing them to a long-term contract knowing that they weren't going to be able to put the pieces around Arenado. And even though they had the one year where they made the postseason and they lost to Milwaukee in 2018, but for the Rockies to unload arguably the best player in the history of their franchise for, let's face it, a bunch of baseballs, some bats, and a cleat, it just doesn't cut it. I mean, why be in business? And I understand that ownership couldn't forecast coronavirus they couldn't even think to have the impact of what the virus was going to do to their business let alone throughout Major League Baseball but it's an out-and-out out disgrace to think that they got literally nothing back in return for a guy that is still relatively in his prime I believe the top of my head he's got to be what 28 29 still has many productive years ahead of him and to get zero in return it's just a shame it's like the Giancarlo Stanton contract Where the Yankees took that on and they send low-level prospects for him And we've seen it throughout all of baseball over the course of the last 20 years The Stanton one being the most recent one off the top of my head So St. Louis gets a player that they could put on opposite ends of the diamond Where you have Paul Goldschmidt at first And Arenado at third It's going to bolster that lineup We know that the Cardinals need a little bit more pitching they did bring back Adam Wainwright for one more year but Wainwright is definitely on his last legs and we all know he's an institution there with the Cardinals but what can you say if you're a baseball fan you do not like what took place and the Cardinals we understand great organization we know that they're going to be appreciative of a guy like Arenado in their lineup I'm sure he's going to go there and be reinvigorated and chances are he'll be ready to play all 162 games or however long the season is going to be with that market I understand no fans maybe from the outset but we know that that's a passion filled baseball rich city but when you're a Colorado Rocky fan the six that are out there and you have to unload your best player and get that return it makes you not want to be a fan anymore so I definitely understand where you're coming from with the Yankees recent acquisitions of a one Corey Kluber and then making the trade for Jamison Tyon We knew that the writing was on the wall for Masahiro Tanaka to not be re-signed and therefore will go back to his country to play for the Rakuten team. I forgot what the nickname is but he and his wife had a lovely post there on Twitter and Tanaka, as we all know, he was a gamer. For the money that he made, it certainly left a little more to be desired although he did have his moments in the postseason but never really was the guy that put their team either over the top Which we know Did not win a World Series During his time here And it was seven years How time flies But When you look at what they spent Whatever it was 160 some odd million He had a very good If not Above average career But when you're looking at That kind of money He was up to the task But overall Was it really worth it? I think about CC Sabathia When he first came here And granted We knew who CC Sabathia was Prior to becoming a Yankee Where nobody knew despite all the reports coming out of Japan that Tanaka was going to be this next great thing but CeCe in his first year brought home a World Series and had very good seasons after that did not get to a World Series after that but he did have seasons where he was dominant and therefore earned his stripes with that contract could you say the same for Tanaka? I don't think so another retirement this time on the other side of the bridge where Daniel Murphy came to as a little bit of a surprise, but that final year in Washington, you started to see the injuries mount, did not have the same MVP caliber seasons that he did in those first couple of years in 2016 and 17, where obviously he just destroyed the Mets and then was traded to the Cubs that last part of the 2018 year and then signed there with the Rockies and hasn't become the same player that he was. Now, mind you, I was in the, minority after that record-setting performance in the postseason that he had back in the 2015 season where he had those six straight games of home runs the last two in the divisional round and then in the championship series where he hit four home runs including the game four home run in the eighth inning I believe it was or in the ninth inning but it was in the later innings where he broke that streak of Juan Gonzalez where he hit five straight postseason home runs in five straight games well Murphy of course has the record and that was one not to bring him back Because he was a defensive liability at second base. He was a guy that was a good hitter. And then became a great hitter. When he went to Washington. And to the tune to where he only got. And I understand it's only. But $37.5 million for three years. Where if he could turn back time. He would have signed for a lot more. Because man. As I said about Tanaka. Was it really worth it? And what he got paid for the results. Well talk about bargain basement. And. Murphy for those first two and a half years was an MVP candidate as I mentioned just a little while ago but be that as it may Murphy who was a good Met and I don't want to hear about any retirements or ceremonies him coming back to City Field because he was an average player overall at best very good hitter professional hitter even clutch but If the Mets or Steve Cohen Even think about having a day for him That is preposterous That's all I'm going to say No offense to Murphy And I'm sure he'd be surprised If there was a day for him But come on No 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 no. I I don't want to hear that And I won't get into the Steve Cohen thing With the situation the other day With the GameStop and the Reddit crowd And some of the things he had to say about that He mentioned that he's getting off Twitter That he's going to focus more on the team He's not going to interact with the fans Whatever All right, that's his prerogative And we understand that that's shady to begin with because obviously all the people, the hedge funds guys, they went up in arms because of the Reddit crowd and how they pushed feverishly to get the GameStop stock to where it was, I don't know, $488 on Friday and crying foul with the rich guys saying, oh, you know, how could they do that? Calm down guys, you're going to be perfectly fine. You know, it's just amazing to think because these guys, and rightfully so, you know, they don't know anything about that world, but hey, if they're able to, for one day or whatever it is, take a particular stock and took advantage of it and they were able to see an increase to the point of X amount of dollars, then so be it. Please, you've already established yourself. And I'm not a stocks guy by any stretch, but you know what? If you're going to start crying a, a muck or a foul over people coming across a windfall because of a stock that was pushed by people through Reddit, uh, please, then find something else to do. Let them have their day in the sun. Lord knows you've had a zillion days in the sun and will continue to have that. So please. And then let me get to the Hall of Fame election where you had no players that were a part of the 2021 ceremonies. Now remember last year you're going to have everything that transferred that didn't take place due to COVID are going to be taking place hopefully this summer in July where you'll have Larry Walker, Derek Jeter, and a few other people be a part of the enshrinement up there in Cooperstown. But with players like Kurt Schilling, Barry Bonds, Roger Clemens, etc. and I'll go down the line, this was not necessarily the last chance because I believe Schilling has one more year and Bonds and Clemens has a couple more years left on the ballot. But you knew that these guys weren't going to get anywhere close to the 75% that they needed to get into the Hall of Fame. Now, mind you, Schilling was close at 71% and he was off by I think 16 votes. But the proverbial wisdom was that because no ceremony last year and you have Derek Jeter as we all know all time great and Walker uh, debatable but with Jeter and then you want to couple in the fact that if Schilling or Bonds would be a part of it it would seem a little bit tainted maybe that was a little bit of the whispers or the rumblings within baseball circles so you'll push it to next year where you'll have A-Rod and David Ortiz on the ballot so that's something just to keep in mind as we get to next January but with Schilling, to me, his regular seasons have been, I'm not going to say spotty, but you look at his track record, he had about four or five Hall of Fame seasons, and he'd been playing for what, 18 years? But we all know it's his postseason, which is phenomenal. What was it? 11-2 and two with a 2.2 ERA. Uh, that's Hall of Fame worthy, if you ask me. And we've seen Schilling, whether it was the Game 5 in 93 against the Blue Jays pitching a complete game shutout. Obviously the bloody sock game with the Yankees in 2004, which was probably the biggest game in the franchise's history considering they hadn't won a World Series at that point. And then you just got to rewind 3 years prior to that with his dominance against the Yankees starting in games 1, 4 and 7 in a World Series to where he was a co-MVP with Randy Johnson for the Diamondbacks. So to me, I think he's a Hall of Famer. Bonds and Clemens, who knows? At some point, they may end up getting into the Hall of Fame. We know their track record. We're not going to go back to the whole steroids on both sides, whatever. But who knows? Maybe next year could be the year where they finally get the votes. You would think Schilling, if he was close this year, and even though he said that he did not want to be a part of this ballot, but the baseball writer said that, no, he's going to be on it. He, being Schilling, rather have the Veterans Committee put him on notice and have him be anointed into the Hall of Fame as opposed to the writers. But because he has one more year on the ballot, the writers are going to say, we're not going to scratch him off just yet. But a guy that's got a lot of traction here and got 52% of the votes, go look at the back of Scott Rowland's baseball card. And I'm not trying to say he was a bum or to say that he was not a good player because he was. But for him to get that many votes is be, I couldn't even believe it. Here's a guy that does not have black type on any of his offensive categories. I want to say off the top of my head, he's a career 260 hitter, didn't have 3,000 hits, didn't have 500 home runs, and I get that's not the standard anymore because of the way the game has been played over the last 20 years, but he's not a guy that was a dominant figure in baseball. Yes, was he a gold glove third baseman? Was he steady at the position? Absolutely so. But let's not forget people, the Hall of Fame is not for steady. It's for spectacular. It's for dominance. It's not for very good. And I'm sorry, if Rowling gets to the Hall of Fame, then might as well just let everybody in. No offense to the guy either. But go look at his stats. And I'm a hard marker when it comes to Hall of Fame. I'm not one of these guys that, yeah, just let everybody in, why not? Oh yeah, he's borderline. And of course there's going to be guys that are borderline, but borderline in the sense where he's more out than he is in. Case in point, when you look at a guy like Mike Bucina, who's in the Hall of Fame, But you look at all of his seasons, and he's had some dominant seasons, but he wasn't the most dominant pitcher of his era. In fact, I believe he does not have a Cy Young, and he may have been in in the top five in Cy Young a few times, a handful of times throughout his career. But he's a guy that, although wasn't dominant, he was borderline because when you look at his final numbers, his ERA was in the mid threes, which eh, you wish was a little better, But he was 120 games over 500 And in his last full season in 2008 He won 20 games So And that's the only time he ever won 20 games Which is a barometer when it comes to pitchers Again That's yesteryear A whole different Generation and mindset But when you look at 270 and 150 Any pitcher that's 100 games over 500 Is in the Hall of Fame But because he doesn't have the hardware He doesn't have the dominance He's had dominant seasons But didn't have a dominant career but when you look at that one loss record ugh, It's hard not to put him in That's where he's more borderline going in As opposed to a guy that's Borderline that shouldn't be in Let's face it Harold Baines And that was by the Veterans Committee Not even by the baseball writers So Obviously they knew better You know Todd Helton's another guy He had 44.9% of the vote Which is still a ways to go And even Roland 52% still a ways But the rolling thing just bothered me Because uh, Again no offense But he is not Underline not a Hall of Famer, and that's not a insult by any means. I mean, think about it. When you think a Hall of Fame, you think Ruth, Aaron, McCovey, Mays, Koufax, Seaver, Gibson, Griffey. I mean, that's automatic. The minute you hear those names, a oh, Hall of Fame. I mean, come on, you're going to hear Scott Rowland Hall of Fame. Stop, uh, please. So that's what we got there. And then one last thing, I know there's more football related, but the NFL will announce who will make it to the Hall of Fame this year. I don't have the list in front of me, and I know we talked about it weeks ago when it was, when it was announced. We'll be sure to keep our eyes on that as to who makes it to the Hall of Fame at this go around. So we will certainly talk about that a week from today. So let's get right to it, people. My hero in Zero of the Week to close us out. My hero of the week is longtime Temple Coach John Cheney. Who passed away at the age of 89 on Friday He actually celebrated the birthday the Wednesday prior to that So he turned 89 on January the 21st So at least he was able to make it to 89 But certainly not much more time after that We all know how much of a tough guy he was You always see him there on the sidelines looking disheveled With the tie undone and the top button and the sleeves rolled up And him many years ago getting into a verbal almost fist fight with uh, John Calipari when he was a coach of UMass he was a tough SOB he was a guy that was hard on his players but his players respected him and they loved him and he was well respected throughout the college basketball circles so thoughts prayers condolences go out to the Cheney family as he is my hero of the week and then my zero of the week and Seattle Seahawks offensive lineman Chad Wheeler for being charged on Wednesday following his arrest on suspicion of felony assault, domestic violence, and the details are as ugly as they possibly could be. Not only accused of choking his girlfriend twice until she lost consciousness, telling her as in the report to bow down in front of him to one point where he was eating ice cream and she walked out of the bedroom and he made a comment, oh, you're still alive. I mean, come on, Chad Wheeler. And we could talk about concussions and all this other stuff that's going on, mental health. Hopefully that's not the case, but let's not make that the fallback here. I mean, for him to come across with that is just, you can't even wrap your head around it. And then sadly, we don't know if there's going to be any surveillance home video that's going to come out from this, but the NFL, they need to come down hard. And we know the Seahawks, they already cut him. So he's long gone and he's made his apologies, et cetera. But when you look at Ray Rice, when you look at some of these other incidents that's happened in the past, even Kareem Hunt to a certain extent, but more so Ray Rice, where we saw the video and we know what took place and obviously he's never been back in the league. Where Hunt's been back in the league, it was more of a, and not to exonerate him in the least, but they need to punish him to the hilt here be suspended and if there is video the NFL should go in there and find out if there is any home surveillance because if there is it needs to be brought to light obviously this is a brutal case against a football player that he should be locked up and thrown under the jail and then lastly if there was a home surveillance system and was destroyed that's all you need to know Chad Wheeler my guy you are my zero of the week so that'll do it episode 176 As always people, I appreciate you for taking the time out to download, listen to what it is I have to say about what's going on in the world of sports and a way to pay me back in not only listening because I know that takes a lot of your day even if it's a simple quick download and you just hit play on your phone or wherever you subscribe to podcasts whether it's on Apple, Google, Spreaker, Stitcher, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Luminary, you know all the platforms but the reason why I ask you to subscribe, rate, and review is because It helps the growth and expansion of this podcast. And I know I've been saying this week after week, because with your participation, it's going to increase the visibility of this podcast with all the others that are out there. So in turn, I could bring in the guests, whether it's the former or current athlete, the blogger, writer, sports writer, studio host, to have them share their experiences with me. So in turn, I could flip that to you guys and gals so you could get a chance to absorb and digest what the players or the writers, the broadcasters that were able to report or play in between the white lines as they share their wealth and knowledge of experience with me. So please subscribe and review this podcast ASAP. Also, if you want to hit me up with any questions, comments, criticism, praise, you could do so on any of my social media accounts, whether it's on Instagram at J Reels or the J Reels Podcast, which is strictly sports, on Twitter, J Reels1, just a number. On Facebook, the J Reels Podcast fan page And an email, which is the Podcast at gmail.com Please feel free to reach out to me I'll be sure to follow up with you As I love to have that back and forth with you guys And if you want to support this endeavor By contributing to the podcast Behind the scenes, the website Upgrade of equipment, things of that nature Just to keep this going on Because I'm not going anywhere, people As you well know, this is what I love to do you could go to my Patreon page Which is P as in Paul A-T as in Tom R-E-O-N as in www.patreon.com Slash the J Reels Podcast Whatever you want to contribute to that I would sincerely and greatly appreciate it Because just like I said a minute ago It's in the blood people I've been talking about sports Pretty much since I was Out of the womb And I love getting into Anything and everything To break it down Analysis Opinions Thoughts All that When it comes to the diamond The ice The gridiron The hardwood the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it, from my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels Podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. And also go to the website at www.jreels.com for more information, as I have a guest in the coming weeks, so you definitely want to stay tuned for that. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond, peace, love, and God bless everybody. Until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.